0: Welcome to the Westside Gathering podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: Well, let me let me jump into to this morning's theme, and it's, it's a continuation from two weeks ago, actually, as we jumped into a passage of Scripture called John 15. Um, but I want to start with a story. That one of the highlights of... The last eight days or so for me was sharing a meal. With people. Now, I love sharing a meal with my family, and I share a meal with them every evening. Uh, But this was with a mixed group of people, real people. Somehow it got worked out, even within the health measures, because we were part of an event team together uh, for a better part of a day, and we had to eat, and so we needed to eat. And so, six feet apart or so, uh, we ate and talked and discussed and dialogued, and we heard each other's successes and struggles. And it was so so good. It felt so good to be sharing and connecting and listening and um, just just walking with these people over this this meal. It was it was wonderful. And as I thought about that moment, um, that was there was a hope in me, a hope in me of what needs to be nurtured again, coming out of this pandemic, Um, in 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 a general sense, but also in a spiritual and missional sense. We've been discerning a disconnection that's happening likely in our church and other churches just individually, right? And we, that's not, that's not hard to discern, right, uh, with the times that we're living in. But we know that we desperately need the Spirit to help us come out of that. And that, that eating together moment was a little bit of a glimpse or a hope of, of what we can reconnect and re nurture with again. But let me, let me, I was thinking about this, and the reality is that eating together is not a silver bullet for connection, for going deeper in each other's lives. Skating together is great, but it's not a silver bullet for what we're looking for. There's so much more. And in fact, Christians, particularly Christ followers, disciples of Jesus, part of uh, his church, are called to way more than social connection. In fact, what binds us together and nurtures us in God's mission and God's family and God's life is much deeper and it's this word the scripture uses that we could use culturally we can use in conversation very lightly very very fluidly um, but it's the word love It's a word that's used in Scripture quite often. It describes actually who God is, and Jesus uses the word quite a bit, and it's used in the New Testament. But I don't want to talk about love the sentiment or love the feeling or love the experience, but love the vocation, love the calling that we have inside the gospel and inside the invitation of the gospel and the life that the gospel births in us. And while that might just, just by saying that, that might sound like, oh, that sounds beautiful, that sounds rich, that sounds like an amazing thing, it often requires effort, intention. Sometimes it can be hard. Last week, Aaron White was with us, and he shared wonderfully out of John chapter 4 around Jacob's well, and, and, and he said these words last week, and I think they fit so appropriately. He said, we're being invited, by being invited to the table of God's family, That often means that we find a person we disagree with and we go love them. We find a person who might be different than us and we go love them. When we're invited to the table of God's family by Jesus, it often means going to find that person around that table that might be hard to love and loving them. That takes intention. That takes work. That takes effort. And I want to read, continue reading John 15 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it or follow with us on the screen. And um, it's, uh, it's a continuation from what we were reading last uh, two weeks ago. And I'm going to pick it up from verse 9. And here are the words of Jesus recorded by John. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And I said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And This is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. And I'm giving you these commands so that you love one another. These are the words of Jesus. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus uses this metaphor of vine and branches to help us understand how we are connected to him when we come to faith in him, when we put our trust in him, when we follow him, like he's described, following his commands. It describes the relationship we have, and by default, our connection then to each other. Just like branches are connected to a vine, those branches are part of the same vine, and we too, as followers of Jesus, are part of Jesus and who he is and the body that he's created. So we're sourced in him, and then Jesus says these words earlier in chapter 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, unless we're connected to him, we will not grow into the kind of faithfulness and fruitfulness that God envisions for us. In these times, particularly, apart from Jesus, we run into a lot of problems, many of them highlighted in this pandemic. Apart from Jesus, it becomes too easy to choose sides, even when you're part of a community. Apart from Jesus, it's too easy to argue your opinion soon as something gets thrown at us, all of a sudden we have to like, I'm with it, I'm for it, I'm for it, I'm against it. Apart from Jesus, we have a limited view from our circumstances. We have a limited view from our vantage point. Apart from Jesus, we never move beyond comfort. I was listening to a Canadian... A historian and theologian named John Stackhouse, and he was diagnosing one of the idols of the American church, and he called it he called it Christian nationalism. But he said one of the idols in the Canadian church is very likely comfort and security. One sounds more dramatic, but the other one that we face likely is just as much an idol. We will never move beyond comfort apart from Jesus when comfort becomes our standard for happiness. The lack of the kind of robust love in action that God's kingdom is meant to express is hard to grow and nurture apart from Jesus. In other words, our actions and interactions often will reflect the ways of the world or the ways of the world's kingdoms instead of God's kingdom. And yet right in the middle of this this invitation, this, this incredible passage of Scripture we find hearing directly from Jesus, we hear this direct command from Jesus. He said it twice, love one another. He said it directly, and then he said it as a summary of his commands. Love one another. Now, these days, I mean, just this last week, we commemorated Martin Luther King Day, and we commemorated Holocaust Memorial Day, really important days, which I I strongly, I, I believe we need to remember these things. And we've seen a lot of love quotes go on, right? Especially during these, these days. You know, love uh, is what the, what the world needs, not hate. Love is what's going to change things. And all these, all these references to love, which is so important. I, I believe it's true. Love does impact us. Love does change the world. Love does draw us together. Love does uh, create a better society than hate does. But then sometimes someone will look at that, and especially Christians We'll say, well, doesn't Christianity include truth, not just love? And it does. It's so much, it's, it's not just loving someone. There's truth in Christianity, who Jesus is, and his statements, his claims, his invitations. What we read through the scriptures is, is so important. But then here's this truth from Jesus it's actually a command. There's a lot of descriptions in the New Testament of what the church can look like or what we're called to look like, but here's this direct command from Jesus. It's hard to get around it. It's really simply stated and very clear. Right from his lips, love one another. So I would say that's truth because Jesus said it. And he intends it for us. And as we read John 15 from two weeks ago to today, Jesus moves from abiding in him to abounding in the life that he calls us to, from relationship to response, to relationship in him, if in, 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 sourced in him to a responsive life that bears fruit and is faithful. Because Jesus does expect us to bear fruit. The, the, the idea, even as he's having this conversation with his disciples, is that they would bear much fruit and they would stay connected to him and that their life would produce something that is a result of their relationship with him, of their abiding in him. And here we have this clear command, this sense that love is the overarching fruit of all fruits. Like Jesus didn't go on and list a whole bunch of examples of the kind of fruit that they should express and and result in, but he did command this. Love seems to be the overarching fruit, kind of like the family of fruits that the rest of us uh, that the rest of fruits come from. I, I don't know about you, but I, there's, there's, uh, I, I love fruit, and um, I love berries. And, and like any given week in our house, if the price is right at the grocery store, there is going to be three or four like, varieties of berries in our fridge. And uh, we love that. Like raspberries, strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, whatever. And there's a whole bunch of other berries, but those are kind of the main four. And think about, think about berries for a second. Like The overall framework of berries is berry, it's a berry. It's just a certain kind of berry, right? And it's amazing because there's this varieties of berries. And I know that I you, you can probably like push against this metaphor a little bit scientifically, but it's an it's amazing how there's this variety of berries. It's all these kinds of fruit, but they all kind of seem to be part of the same berry family, and that's pretty cool to see. But I think that's a little bit the heart of this. What Jesus is saying here, that the fruit of a Christ follower, though there's different varieties of how the fruit is expressed, sometimes the fruit of of abiding in Jesus is a a life of stewardship where we steward our resources for the good of his kingdom, his purposes, for for the good of the world around us, where maybe that fruit is generosity and it overflows that way. Maybe it overflows in service or character development or the use of spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to serve one another and minister each other at the body. Practical service gifts sometimes More charismatic looking gifts, hospitality, but yet all this is part of the same family. Paul, when he describes the spiritual gifts in in his letter to the Corinthians, says, you could have all this, but if you don't have love, it's not the same. And so it seems like love is the root fruit. I wish there was kids here. I'd kind of make a kids jingle. You know, love is the root fruit. Love is, anyways. Forget it. I've always wanted to do a kids show, but not today. Uh, think about that. Love is the root fruit. Love is the key indicator of a life that abides in Jesus, and we see how the process works as John teaches, as Jesus teaches us as we're reading it in John 15. It's reciprocal. It's this its this reciprocal process. and I love, there's so many reciprocal processes in the Bible, like where James tells us, like, draw near to God, and God will draw near to us, right? It's reciprocal. We do something, God does something, or God does something, and we do something. It's kind of ongoing, and I see this reciprocal process right in John 15, where the first part of the process is relationship. It's a reciprocal relationship, where Jesus says, abide in my love. Abide in my, love. In other words, remain in the love of Jesus that he has for us. This idea of remaining in his love it reminds me of kind of like when parents have this love for their kids, and they build this family, and even over one or two, maybe, or three generations, it's this idea that, you know, if, if we that have been born into this family remain in this river of love that has been created by this family, there's something that we're going to receive and, and we're going to grow out of. It's like that love is always present for us. It's never going away. We live and grow in it, not apart from it. In fact, even in a family setting, if we choose to live our lives and grow separately from this family that, is, that has produced love that we can live in, we will come to realize that we will bear a less faithful and a less fruitful life, even on a natural level. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Abide in my love. This first part of the reciprocal process is relationship with and in Jesus. But then there's the other side. There's there's the relational side and then there's the response side. Because love is both the fruit of relationship and the response to that relationship. And we see this in the scriptures. John, who wrote these words of Jesus later as an older man in his 70s or 80s as he's writing to to a local church, he says these words in 1 John 4.19. He says, we love... We love, here's our response of of this process, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's reciprocal. When Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says this great line in verse 15, chapter 1. He says, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. He heard about Their abiding in Christ, their relationship with Christ, their rootedness in Christ, and then he continues. And I heard about your love towards all the saints. I heard about how how you've responded to this love that you're rooted in, to this relationship you're in. Now that you're you're, you have faith in Jesus, now that you have become loyal to Christ and following him, it's reciprocal. And as I think about this, it makes me realize that the way we remain in Christ's love is somehow tied to Christ's command to love one another. We can't separate it. You can't just do one side of the reciprocal process and not the other, or one side and not the other. It's all mixed in together. They don't work apart from each other. So much so that it, it seems as though the test and evidence of our loyalty and love for Jesus... Is love for one another. We can't separate it. So here's Jesus' command one more time. So simple. Love one another. And that's the response. That's the response. That's part of the reciprocal process, the response. And this is not foreign to the scriptures. This is not foreign to the Old or New Testament. In fact, There's a scene in the Gospels where Jesus is asked by some people who are kind of trying to trip him up in in their understanding of all the Scriptures, and they ask Jesus this question. Okay, Jesus, new teacher on the scene, rabbi, you think you're the Messiah type. Let me ask you this question. Uh, How would you summarize all the law and the prophets? Like, how would you summarize Moses and all the prophets? What's your summary, Jesus? And Jesus replies, and he pulls a phrase from Deuteronomy 6. He pulls a phrase from Leviticus 19 speaking to this Jewish audience and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, abide in him. Love your neighbor, respond with love. Somehow, Jesus made this holistic connection between our love of God and our, and, and our lives in the love of God and our love towards neighbor. And towards one another. Jesus is speaking more personally though here. Even more personally to his disciples. Because I know that we're called in the scriptures to love our neighbor. And to love even our enemy. But here Jesus is is talking about loving one another. And no one's left out here in the disciples community. No one is called to do it more or less than someone else. No, it's not tied to a position. It's not tied to power. It's not tied to platform. It applies to all of us, for all of us, towards all of us. And this little nuance here is important because as much as we're called to love our neighbor, right here, Jesus kind of hones in in this family meeting together with the disciples. And he's like, I'm calling you not just to love your neighbor and love your enemies. I'm calling you to love one another. Because you are my disciples and you are the body of Christ that's starting. You will become the church These are inside relationships for you. These are the issues that you must deal with with one another. Love one another. And he qualifies it with this second phrase that is actually just kind of adds some weight to what he says. He says, as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, the disciples didn't have to overthink this they have seen already as they've been following Jesus and going town to town with him and seeing him him interact with people, but seeing him interact with them. He was already demonstrating his love for them and others. He was already the guy who stopped on the side of the road and chatted with Zacchaeus. He was already the guy who spent two and a half days with the Samaritan woman's family and friends uh, as he's walking through Samaria. That was this person, Jesus. They've already seen this, and they saw it in... They saw his love when, when he called them into a new vocation with no previous experience, when he embraces their family and friends and 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 never winces at an invitation to one of their parties like he did at Matthew's house. And he calls them to truth, but he holds them with grace. He calls them to truth, but he holds them with grace and not one of them is ever too small or too broken or too damaged or too hurt or too sick to spend time with, Jesus says, in fact, in Mark chapter 3, he says, I have called you so I could be with you, so you could be with me. So Jesus demonstrated love to them, but then Jesus would eventually demonstrate love in the most powerful way. John 15 is just part of a journey of Jesus eventually heading to the cross, eventually giving his life eventually where he'll lay down his life not only in practical ways for them, which he's done, but now he will soon lay down his life literally, physically, spiritually, wholly. He will do this. That's why Jesus says, lay down your lives for each other. Lay down your lives for each other. And his example gave them a picture of what that looks like. It's not a list. It's not A, B, and C. It's not, we can figure this out. When I, once I've done like the seven steps and I've loved well and now leave me alone, get out of my house. What, no, no, it wasn't like that. It was, it was big. It was, he, they saw how Jesus loved and they saw how he would love eventually. And we've now seen that historically. And Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. This is how you do that. You lay your lives down for your friends. And I've called you friends. In other words, to live in such a way that our lives are not so caught up with our own ambition and our own comfort that we're blinded to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Because it's so easy to get caught up with our ambitions and our comforts, and, and not all of that is evil, but sometimes we can overly get caught up with them that we have no room in our lives for our brothers and sisters, for our discipling community. Now some people say, well, what does that mean, Dave? And, you know, you don't have to sell all your stuff to make this happen, but you might want to look at all your stuff and your expenses and ask yourself, do I even have room in the way I resource my life? Do I have room in my expense sheet to even like be a help to someone else? Maybe we might do well to curb how much our lives cost us, if we have no room to help, be helpful for a brother or sister. That might be possible. That's something you got to do. It's something I got to do. I got to look through that. Too often in our in our North American context, when our salary grows, uh, our lifestyle grows, and instead of growing a pattern of generosity and and compassion, we just keep growing our lifestyle commensurate to our salaries, and so our capacity to even give or resource or help beyond that never changes because our expenses just keep growing. So we just buy the better car and the cooler apartment and the more expensive clothes. You don't have to sell all your stuff, but you might think about curbing. We might think about curbing how much our lives cost us if we want to have room to be helpful to our community, our brothers and sisters. You don't have to quit everything. You don't have to have a complete blank slate on your calendar. But we might do well to curb some of our time. If we have no margin, if we have no margin, if I have no ounce of time left in my week to be present with my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I might have to step back and say, hey, maybe i got to curb some of my life. Maybe, maybe, you know, God's not saying have nothing to do, but, the, but we got to ask ourselves, do I have any margin to be present with my brothers and sisters? So you don't have to sell everything. You don't have to quit everything. But you can start there. See, things in our lives that stop us from loving the people in our life should be often reviewed. So ask yourself this question. Are there things in my life that are stopping me from loving the people in my life, starting with the church? That often means just reorganizing our life towards our values. This is a completely separate example, but a, fr- a neighbor of mine, his name is Gary, him and his wife lived on our street, uh, not on our street, but in our neighborhood, and I got to know him, and I loved walking through his garden, he used to show me all the time, uh, and this guy was an adventurous guy, he worked on an oil rig somewhere in, in an ocean, uh, six months of the year, one month at a time, and he had a crazy kind of experience, I love chatting with Gary. And I found out in one of our conversations that for a, a really significant season of his life, he lived off the grid. Like he lived on like 20 or 30 acres of land in eastern Canada. He saw no one, didn't care about anybody. He lived off the food of the land. He, he, he wasn't connected to the grid. Nobody controlled him. That, that was just him. And he loved it. He loved it. And then he started to see his kids grow up and he realized his kids would never own, know anybody but him. <laughs> And some of his kids had other interests that weren't necessarily tomato plants. And he's like, what am I doing? I love this. This is good for them too, but maybe maybe we need to change things up so they have some opportunity to discover life for themselves. And he sold the grid. He sold the property. He sold everything. He laid it down out of love for his kids. Because he realized that as, as wonderful as that was, he wasn't... Some of that stuff was stopping him from loving his own family. And so I asked that question to you and me. What does it look like to be part of the church? Or what does it look like for the church to discern some of the things that are stopping us from loving our own family? What does it look like for us to recover a surrender of our things, of our time, for the good of others? If this command that Jesus calls us to is, is true and significant... Now, it begs the question, I don't know about you, I think about this, like, can you legislate love? Can you force people to love? Mm, no, not humanly speaking, we can't. But this, we're in a different relationship with Jesus. We call him Lord. He's our king and our savior. We've come to realize that his kingdom is the most absolute best thing to be a part of, and we have gladly surrendered our allegiance to Jesus. Now, when A leader in the world or when somebody or a corporate leader says you must do this i'm going to legislate good things normally that turns out into making people less human but that doesn't happen with jesus jesus does command us to love but here's the difference jesus is the source of love john figured it out he says we love because he first loved us Jesus is the source and model of love. Jesus acted in love. Jesus came to make us more human, not less. Just don't equate the word human with sinful, and you'll understand what I'm saying, because we have been made in God's image. Humanity has been created in God's image. Jesus has come to make us more like God's image. He restores God's image in us that has been cracked by sin. And one day, one day, those who are in Christ will fully experience what it means to be his image bearer at resurrection. When we see him, we'll be like him. But Jesus has started that restoration process in us as we've embraced the cross and the resurrection. And so the command to love, this is amazing. He's, it's been given by the one who has done everything that love can do. The command to love has been given by the one who has done everything that love can possibly do. That's who's commanding us to do this. That's why we can joyfully surrender and follow. But he doesn't leave us alone. He helps us. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit. So what happens when we we love like Jesus calls us to that? What happens? Again, I'm not going to list a bunch of things, but there's some things he actually tells us right in this text. That disobedient love for one another, responding to a loving God, actually results in joy. In verse 11, he says, your joy will be complete and my joy will be in you. When you understand this reciprocal process of being in relationship with me and then following my commands and loving others, you're going to discover a completeness of joy that cannot be found anywhere else. Love, this kind of love brings joy. And when we love like this, we discover a joy and freedom that wasn't possible in selfishness or greed or pride or even the, even, even freedom just to do the things I want to do. It's different. We find it in this, in responding to his command to love others. And sometimes it's sacrificial for one another, but it nurtures a love in them and it nurtures a love in us. When we love faithfully and we love tangibly and we love sacrificially, love grows in us and love grows in the other person. This happened with Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, Hebrews tells us there was a joy set before him as he went to the cross. And yet when we embrace the cross, we find a joy and freedom that we could never have found anywhere else. And that leads us to what the world can't do for us, even if it legislates good things. The the world cannot make us more human. Only Jesus can make us more human. Only Jesus can transform us into the fullness of God's image that he had intended at creation. Because when we love, we are being transformed into God's image. When we love in this way, rooted in Jesus, we are being transformed into God's image. And here's the beautiful thing. That the one, when someone loves another person in this way, within the context that Jesus is talking about, both the lover and the one who's loved... Both the lover and the beloved become more human. Both the lover and the beloved are transformed more as image bearers of God. And so here's a simple test for you, and for me too. i got to ask myself this all the time. If my actions or my words dehumanize another person, I am very far from the command of Jesus. If my actions or my words or, or my rhetoric dehumanizes another person, I am far from the command of Jesus. So think about that test with your life, with your interactions this week. And I'm going to close in just saying this. If we're a follower of Jesus, it's our purpose. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit. That word appointed is the word set aside. I've set you aside for this purpose. And I think we can easily make the connection that he has set us aside to love one another. That's part of his purpose for us. And so when you write a letter to a friend, when you speak to your friends and you really want to get the point across, you usually bookend your, your letter, your conversation with what you want to say. And that's what Jesus does. His first and his last word to his friends in John 15 is super simple love one another. It's not simplistic, it's simple. Love one another. It can be complex, but it's very clear. Love one another. It might take work, but it's very easy to understand. Love one another. And the rest are details, not simplistic details. But details, meaning we're committed to the work, to working out on a daily basis what it means to love one another, what it means to first start in the church community. And here's the amazing thing: we can, you can. It's not just some uh, uh, challenge you're given that you got to figure out all by yourself. Because when we are abiding in the love of Jesus, we can grow a life of love. I'll end with this quote I found yesterday. Stanley Hauerhaus says these words. He says, Jesus is not merely the teacher of love. Rather, he's a herald of the kingdom whose life makes possible a new way of love. I love that. That just reminded me of this because Jesus, he is a good teacher. He does teach us to love. He does model love. He does invite us into it. He does give us examples of it. That is partly who Jesus is. He's amazing at that. But he's not only that. Instead, he proclaimed the good news of God's kingdom breaking into our world. When we become a part of that kingdom, we inherit and become immersed in the life that makes possible a new way of love that can only be found as we abide in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, as we read this, it's super simple to read, love one another. But we recognize it's not so simplistic to live out. And so, God, we, we're grateful for the life and work of your Holy Spirit in us as we abide in the love of Jesus. God, we, we can see that this, this command from Christ is super clear, but we also recognize it's complex that it's gonna rub against certain parts of our lives because we live in a world that has called us to other loves. We live in a world that has called us to other values. We live in a world that has often called us to choose sides. We live in a world that can rile us up for the things that we want to make our lives comfortable. And while not all of those things are wrong or evil in and of themselves, that makes it complex and not so simplistic lord when we find ourselves longing to be the people that you call us to be in this in this text in these words from jesus to love one another and even in the church lord where we come with Differences of opinion and experiences and social status and how much money is in our bank account and the clothes we wear and the families we're a part of. Oh God, we recognize in that moment that the call to love one another is so dependent on the life that we have being part of Jesus. We are in the vine in Christ. So God, we, just, we surrender ourselves to you if we're blind, if I'm blind in my resources or cost of living or time, if any of those things God have, have squeezed out any margin to tangibly, practically love my brother or sister Lord, bring conviction to my heart help me see it clearly give me the strength to be decisive and allow you to prune some of those pieces in my life God, if there's anything, Lord, that, that stops me from living out this command, God, I ask you to cleanse my heart, expose my heart, examine me, know my thoughts, see if there's any offensive or wicked way in me, God, because I long to be led, we long to be led into the way of everlasting, which is the way of Christ, which is also the way of love, as you've commanded us to. So We pray this in Jesus' name. We trust you. In your name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday. But you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.